All right. Can you please open your Bibles again to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. Uh, I have a lot of random thoughts continually. And so as I was just uh, standing here and thinking and, and as we were worshiping, isn't it great? Just, this is just for fun as we're flipping on our Bible. You see what I'm saying? Isn't it great that uh, Jesus doesn't play Simon Says with us? Don't you, you know what I'm saying? That game's a hoax, man. Because the leader, the guy you're trying to be, is trying to fool you. Does that make sense? Random thoughts with Dave. I'll make a podcast. If I make some millions, we'll share it. It'll be some Acts, Acts kind of stuff, like the church in Acts. But uh, isn't that awesome for us as believers? Jesus is our leader. We follow him. Everybody can say amen to that, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. And he's not trying to fool us or trick us. He's not trying to, to uh, distract us or make us fail. He's setting a standard in a way for us to function and live. And imitating him, that actually leads to success, to growth, to maturity, to understanding the kingdom, to knowing your place in it, to knowing what it looks like to thrive individually and corporately in, in his kingdom. Awesome! That's awesome stuff. Okay, thoughts with David. Very cool. It's not connected, really. I guess it is connected because it's connected to everything, but it's not part of my sermon. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so kind to us. We're grateful that you're not trying to just trick us. But Lord Jesus, you are intentional with us. You've pursued us. You've called us by name. You've made us your own. You've placed us in not only this church family, but in your kingdom. And you've given us functions and places and things to do. So as we come before you, Lord, as we yield ourselves under your authority and the authority of your word, we just ask and pray that you would mature us, that you would develop us, and that you would please, Lord Jesus, help us to fall deeper in love with you. Thank you, Lord. you are kind and we love you, Jesus. Please help me to be faithful to your word and to communicate it appropriately. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Last week we talked about uh, Zacchaeus and, and the encounter that Jesus and Zacchaeus had and how Zacchaeus left changed. And really what I'm trying to get at and push on as a church family, if you can receive from me a pastoral insight is engage your mind, not just your heart. And I'm not talking about academically study, but I am thinking about the beauty of wandering again. Wand wandering again. Does that make sense? I think it's a gift when it says, uh, you know, the old men will dream dreams. I'm talking about that in the Bible. Do we still dream anymore? I'm not talking about the things we do when we're sleeping, but do we just pontificate and ponder together the beauty, the immensity, the majesty of the man Jesus Christ? And what that looks like for us as we live life dedicated to him. So last week we talked about... Uh, it was entitled, Do You See What I See? And kind of regaining a vision of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the king and his kingdom. So this week, we will do a very brief look at the kingdom of God and what it looks like as we take a walkabout. That's from Psalm 48. Walkabout Zion. So we're going to try to walk around Zion a little bit. I challenged you last week to say what we, we listened to that story towards the night before Christmas in the vivid detail that the author describes of St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. And can we, in our understanding of Jesus Christ, the one we're actually dedicated to, describe attributes of who he is? His beauty, his immensity, his power, and the way that he's transformed our lives. And so that's a fun way to do it. Today we're going to try to do that with the kingdom of God. Now what does it look like in the, in the presence of God? 
What does it look like for us as believers to be a part of a kingdom that's unshakable, excuse me, that's unshakable and, and it propels us forward in life for a lifetime of um, a difference, an upside-down way of thinking and living? Um, I always tell students that I work with and people that I talk to that it's, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's way easier for me to get through school cheating. I'll be tr- totally honest with you. I did it once. It was a massive failure. You shouldn't do that, students that are not in here. Don't cheat. Uh, but it's way easier to look on someone else's or to take credit from someone else and just kind of cruise by. But the Lord calls us to standards that are more excellent and higher, to ways of living and thinking that are far greater than ourselves. So we'll see what the Lord does today because I'm already off notes. But Last week we talked about it is important for us to not just be intrigued by who Jesus is, but to be transformed by what he has done. So this week, I'm going to say this to you. The application of Christ's accomplished work to us, his transformative salvation, if I can say it that way, solidifies our place and our function in the kingdom of God. Our place into who we are and then our function, what, what, he, what he has us to do, what he puts on us. Right there. You see that? I got mine in. That's it, Mike. I won't use it again. I, Roy gave me the power today and I already forgot to use it. Uh, but I got a laser pointer on here. Stephen, you should use this way more often. If you guys can see this word right here, this place and function in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to concentrate now. Praise Jesus. The application of Christ's accomplished work solidifies our place and our function in the kingdom of God. So let's dive into this story and see what the Lord does. But I'm going to go back. It's not working, Roy. Stop it, Karen! Okay, no worries. Um, As we read the story of Luke 19, I just want to recall to your mind, yeah, Roy's got me, um, some beautiful things that have taken place. Uh, Zacchaeus and Jesus are just there. This is in in Luke 9 50, Jesus starts a journey to Jerusalem. And so, basically, throughout the majority of the book of Luke, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem? Anybody? They take off the coats, the triumphal entry, and then obviously the trial, the rest, all these things take place towards his crucifixion, his passion and crucifixion. And so what's taking place here is, on his way, he does amazing things, has a lot of teachings, but just on the heels of of chapter 19, he heals a blind beggar, comes into the town as people are watching him pass by, has this encounter with Zacchaeus, and at the same time after that, that meeting with Zacchaeus, And people are on looking to see who is this guy. Because Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, has come away totally transformed, giving away half of his possessions and showing his life to be completely altered or transformed as he encountered Jesus Christ. So now as we come to Luke 19, uh, 11, Jesus gives a parable. And this is a parable of the ten minas, and it's very similar to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Um, Some big differences, though, is who is Jesus talking to? Matthew 25, the parable is to his disciples. And here it's to that crowd we talked about last week that are the ones that grumbled when Jesus chose to go to Zacchaeus' house. So they're all there gathered. He chooses to go to Zacchaeus' house, and everyone's like, who's this guy? Why would he go into the house of a crook and of a sinner? Why would he choose that guy when we are the ones that are, that are abiding by the law and doing things correctly? I tell you, the Lord, the Lord breaks our hearts Oftentimes, as he breaks our will. 
So here we go. Jesus is telling this parable verbally. Yes, Zacchaeus is there. Yes, the disciples are there. But it's for all those that are gathered. And I'm going to read it for you. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. That's why this parable is being told. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us, which is also a custom of the day. When there was problems or when things took place, they would send a delegation to Rome to say, We don't want this person to be in charge of us. Can you remove him, basically? When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So here's also a difference between the talents as well. It's equal to what they gained, if that makes sense. Uh, and the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five, uh, has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. Severe there meaning strict, authoritative, one that holds standards. Not necessarily speaking about Jesus. It's a parable, right? Because we just saw beforehand that Jesus is actually incredibly benevolent and kind, compassionate and loving, to enter the home of a crook and to show him great generosity. So it's also showing that the servant doesn't know the character of the leader. All right? I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, more will be given, but from the one who, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Holy cow. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we come humble before your word. And just ask that you would direct us, that you would guide us, and that you would please help us. We love you, Lord God, and we appreciate you. and are so thankful for the guidance and directions and standards you have put in our life. And we see it and we want to walk in it. In your name, amen. You know, as we had this snow-nado, that's what I call that. Um, tornado silence going off one night and then this minor blizzard the day, the day after. Um, I, rem I remembered my childhood. I struggled with when tornado silence and stuff went off, I was fearful. I didn't do well with thunder. I didn't do well with those things. Now I actually love watching it. I love hearing it. I love seeing it. It's really an amazing, amazing thing. But when I was a young child, I, I would run to my parents and I would call myself just being in their presence. Right? Um, 
the big picture of what, what I want to talk to you about and get at today is, we looked yesterday at who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And this week I want to look at, at what it does for us in our place in his kingdom. Being in the presence of God is life-altering. Not only looking at the accomplished work of Jesus applied to us, but it allows us to know our place. To be called a son or daughter, like Jesus showed us with Zacchaeus, he called him by name and brought him to himself. That is amazing. But the reality for us is that we are, we are always with him now and that he's given us his Holy Spirit as a helper. And so that perpetual longing for more is always satisfied in knowing who you are. So don't get lost in seeking something that you already have, but appreciate the things the Lord has done in you to be able to propel you in life, in place and in function, knowing that you're already a part. You hear that? So you have been given the, the, the Lord's presence, the Lord's power, the Lord's spirit. He's transformed you just like he did with Zacchaeus. And then what did he do? He left Zacchaeus. All the more greater for us today is that he's transformed us, but he sent, he sent his helper, the one that sees the work of Christ be accomplished continually now, the Holy Spirit with us. So he's never away from us. How amazing is it that we get to live in the presence of our Lord continually? empowered by his very spirit, the one that raised him from the dead. So as we think about and appreciate the kingdom of God, I'm not trying to get incredibly astute to say this is exactly what it is, as much as just to reflect upon and say, this is an amazing, amazing thing for us as humans in general. To be able to know our place in the kingdom and to know that he calls us for a particular gift or function in it. And so what does it look like for us? Again, we're renewing our vision, refocusing on who we are, we see Jesus as king. Now, what does it look like to function in his kingdom? Y'all with me? <clears throat> so as we get to Luke 19, the takeaway that I have for you is this. The kingdom will not be seen in fullness until Christ returns. This is an interesting story that it, that it shows incredible things. Jesus is sharing this parable uh, with all those that are learning as he's leaving um, Jericho here and going on to Jerusalem. He's not there yet. This is a continual process on his journey. It's interesting to me that he uses this here because the very next thing that happens in our text is that Jesus uh, then walks into Jerusalem and we experience the triumphal entry. You guys with me there? And so the beauty of this is that Jesus is showing the kingdom is not yet. They were expecting Jesus to come to Jerusalem and be that political Messiah to free them from the hands of the Romans. And they expected it to happen now. And so Jesus is settling all that to say the kingdom is, is not yet. I'm bringing it, and it will come to fruition when I come again. In the same way that this nobleman had a town, he came and he took the city, and he, he put people in charge of it. And then, he, and then he came back to check on it. You get the idea? Jesus is present now. He's going somewhere, and he's coming back. These are the things he's communicating through the parable. I'm not going to Jerusalem now to have... Uh, a showdown and totally change everything, but I'm coming in my way of doing things, in peace, in stillness, in calm. And I'm, and I'm going to set something in place that is growing. He uses the analogy um, earlier in the, in the book of Luke, I think it's 13, of the mustard seed and the yeast, right? That idea of the smallest of seeds grows into the massive tree that even the birds can come and nest in. He's talking of the kingdom of God. 
It's developing. It's growing. It's slow process. I have initiated it. And the restorative process of me coming is making a difference in this place and will be fulfilled when I come again. Just in the same way that yeast is in the bread and a small amount leavens the whole loaf. All right, that slow, perpetual change. It has come. Christ has done this. We are new. We have already been redeemed. The not yet is the fruition of all of it coming to place at the the return of Christ. Please, Lord. How amazing will that be? But at the same time, we have a mission. We have a place and we have something to do here. All right? So why is this? Why am I sharing this story? I don't know. I, it, is, it is amazing to me, though, this chapter. The Lord has put something here on my heart, and that's why I'm sharing it. I do know. All right? But the chapter is amazing to me because Zacchaeus is transformed. Jesus then contradicts a false belief in the day to say, I'm not coming now to do the work that will be done through you perpetually. I am initiating this process. I am the kingdom and have brought it. Now I'm giving it to you to be faithful to do. And when I return, I want to see what you've done. So I'm going to throw this out there, church family. What are you doing with the minus that God has put in your life? That's not the entire point of the story. The point of the story is the initiation of the kingdom. Right? And it will, it will happen in fullness. It's not now. The Messiah has not come to overthrow the government. It's not a political man to do something. But you cannot skip over this fact. If the Lord has gone and returned and has given us His Holy Spirit, as we learn later, what are you doing faithfully in your representation of the kingdom in your life to show who this nobleman is? Is he worthy of your stewardship and development? Or are you just waiting for things to take place? Because from this text, it shows us, and this is, and this is a crazy idea in Scripture, that there is reward and benefit through faithfulness. And he's using this model of business and all the rest to do this. As we are faithful with what he has put in front of us, you will be given more. All right? And if you are just willing to put the good news and the, and the kingdom of God in the handkerchief and set it aside, and I'm just going to go about my life and be content with where the Lord has me, then you are missing out on something. And missing out in a large way because the Lord is asking for it back in essence. I've always been shattered in my mind with the belief that my life is not my own. Perpetually through Scripture we see that. He gives us responsibility and stewardship over this. This body, this mind, this will. He has allowed me to be the one that directs it. Right? I'm not multiple personalities, I'm not doing things. But I'm just saying, as an alien in this place... He's put me in this, in this body to be able to do something amazing for his kingdom. And he can require it back at any moment and ask me what I've done with it. And so we're setting this as a vision for the church because we're resetting January to have these new classes in February. And I just want to say, what, what is your vision of Jesus Christ and the king? But then more importantly to that, of, not more importantly, as a result of that, of who you are and what you do. Are we content to just come and, and be comfortable on Sundays and um, enjoy our cups of coffee and sing praise to the Lord and then wait for that to come back around the next week? Or is there something else we can do? The answer is yes. That we can engage in the mission in the world. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, if you collect trash, if, if you work in um, banking, if you work in the dentistry world, which that's a calling. Um, whatever you may do, all of those vocations 
our realities for us have a particular function in the kingdom of God. We are able then to use our calling, big C, if you want to do it that way, as a Christian, to be put into action in place in the little places, the little C callings the Lord has put us in. So regardless of who you are, we still have an ability to have return on what God has given to us. And so as we do these things, there's both great reward and there's great loss. These, these people that were faithful with it and invested it and did things returned to them and they were even given more. And then as we see towards the end of the chapter, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given more, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for, those, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The Lord is making a pretty strong point as well. You see what I'm saying? Um, he is not a political figure that's going to overthrow a government because he's not held by any government, people. You understand that? He doesn't need to overthrow anything because he's greater than. We so encapsulate him into our understanding. He's not Democrat or Republican. He's not an American. He's not. So just to get your mind around the reality that he's doing what he has always done. And people are trying to understand and figure out how they fit into it. And I'm telling you this. The application of Christ's accomplished work to you solidifies your place and gives you a function in his kingdom. We are in and we are put to work through our gifting because of what Jesus Christ has done. Um, God's kingdom is, is an amazing thing. But what are you doing with the nobleman's resource? What are you doing with the nobleman's resource? Are you developing it? Are you seeing life come from it? Or are you just placing it on a shelf and waiting so that nothing bad happens? Because I think, I think you'll be met with a contrary. And I say it to myself, please, but also to us as a church family, it's a false expectation to put something on a shelf and leave it there thinking that it will be safer when, you, when it's meant for use. You guys have heard the story over and over and over again, but I, I hate breaking things in because it, to me it loses value. The reality of it is this. It's meant to be used, and the value comes from the function. You understand that? I had a pair of rollerblades I never used because I did not want to scuff them. They're made to be scuffed. They're actually made to roll on concrete. That's the worst kind of scuffing. You see what I'm saying? And so I failed in my expectation of what it looks like to be utilized because I didn't want it to look a specific way. If you hear the words of the Lord this morning, you're to be used a specific way because I have a function for you. To be scuffed. To get dirty. To feel the, the grinding of the, of the wheels on the concrete. And to, what, and to see what it looks like as they scrape together. In the same way, you're to be in the world, not of it. Take what I've deposited in your life and bring back a return from me because you're meant for more than what you think. That's right. All right? So as we look at these things, Jesus then says all this, and the very next thing he does is goes into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. The greatest celebration and curse of all time. The wildest thing. These chapters blow my mind because now Jesus comes in and they worship him like that Messiah. 
They say, Hosanna, 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 worthy are you. And they put the robes down, they put the palm branches, they're waving all this stuff. And then the next week they say, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. There's a total difference between the way that the crowd receives him and then what they do. Do you see him as king or not? Because we don't flip-flop on Jesus like that. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, what does the kingdom look like? I'm running out of time, so I'm going to fast forward, if that's okay. Um, God's kingdom, I'm just going to say it this way, shows immense... Actually, I'm going to read for you guys Psalm 48, just the ending of it. And I'm going to ask us to dream together. Is that all right? Um, this, is a, this is something that I'm grateful that, that Bryn has done, and he was a founder of, of our work in general, if you don't know Bryn Jones. He's a father of the faith to many of us. But then also Steve Adelini and Mike have done for us as young leaders that I'm going to do to the church. Um, and it's a beautiful way of being able to see what does the kingdom of God look like? Dream with me. Right? Um, I don't know if this is going, but if you go one more slide, Roy. This is a trip I took to, I was in London a, little, a couple years ago with Stephen and my dad. We went to a conference in Wales, stopped by London. And this is the greatest picture. I want to show a picture that I took because it's better than just pulling stuff off the Internet because that's what I do for everything else. <laughs> so um, this is Westminster, right? And then we have Buckingham Palace on the right there, top right. And, then, and I think that is, I don't fully know. I can't remember. I don't know architecture well. It's beautiful. Here's what I want you to look at. We're going to look at Psalm 48, and it talks about looking at the ramparts and numbering the citadels and looking at the strength of Zion. I needed a picture to understand what this is talking about. A bulwark is a massive, strong wall, right? Other places in Psalms, it tells us to run, run to the strong tower, and we're safe. There's these, there's these, the imagery for me, scripturally, is amazing of who God is, of what he is, and how he, how he functions. So this, there's a lot of imagery going on here, and I'm not asking for us to think about what particular aspects of ar architecture are present in the kingdom. What I am saying is, what is, this, what is this representing, and what does it look like for us to be in the presence of God continually? Can we dream together and put words to it? And then I've got some points to end this with, but this was my massive thing. Can we walk about Zion? We're held accountable, like the parable, to something. But I don't think we can be faithful to what we're held accountable to if we can't see. That's why I want you to dream with me about what, what is Zion? What is the place of God's reign? What does it look like to be in the midst of the creator of the universe? And, um, and we can just put some words to it, but this is the rule of Christ on earth, the kingdom of God. This is the blessing and advantages that flow from living under Christ's rule. And it is the subject of the kingdoms of those that follow him, the church. So as we, as, we, as we dream together, let's just take a moment, and then I'll close this with a couple points. This is Psalm 48. Just to give some context, this is an amazing uh, psalm that's written. Um, and obvious things that are happening here are, come to mind. So, for instance, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly be praised in the city of God. This is verse 1. His holy mountain, beautiful in ele elevation, is the joy of all the earth. So we're looking at the place and the glory and the majesty and the presence of God as being that, the joy of all the earth. And then later on it says, within her citadels, God has made himself a fortress. Um, it 
talks about the east wind shattering the ships of Tarshish or the power and strength that comes from whatever the Lord has done. The ships of Tarshish being the most advanced at the time. They could travel across the entire Mediterranean and they could do so quickly. So the best that man can build are shattered uh, by what surrounds God. And then as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the hosts, in the city of our God, in which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Here's the verse I have on the board for you. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. So I gave those pictures because it helps me to see a citadel. Helps me to see those shoots that are all around the beauty and the architecture of a place. Just take that in your mind and say, how much greater is the place of God's reign that man tries to build and we try to put words to, but he's far greater. So I'm going to say things, and I just want you to dream. You don't have to say anything. But um, I see, you know, as I, I walk about Zion and just think about the presence of God, I'm enamored continually that it is far greater than my mind can even conceive of. And then as I walk around, I see a king who's seated on his throne, and what's emanating from him is a continual, it's a continual two-way channel of the ability for someone like me to be able to come to him in any means necessary and for him to actually know my name. He's seated far above Right, and we and described as eyes of fire. He's described as uh, majesty, like a beam, like light. All these kind of things happening, and I see. I just feel like I would walk up to such a throne and not have a place. But for some reason, next to him is a chair that's empty for me. And so it's the reality and recognition that I'm not only known, I'm not only pursued, I'm not only brought near, but I'm established in him. The beauty of seeing my king allows me to know my place and my function. That he's allowed me to sit at his right hand and he's given to me an inheritance that nobody else can take away. While at the same time requiring of me an action and a faithfulness and a standard to be faithful to the things that I know and the things that I see in his word. As I walk about Zion, I don't see mourning. I don't see sadness. I don't see double-tongued people that yell Hosanna, that also yell crucify. But all I can see are those with arms high yelling worthy. 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 Because our minds have been stretched so far as to not even be able to put words in the English language to something that is so magisterial and beyond me. I'm just dreaming myself. I didn't prepare these things. I'm just kind of thinking. So all I'm asking you to do, if you don't know what to do in a quiet time this week, if you don't know what to do in reading scripture, just stop and engage your mind. Walk about Zion and think with me what it looks like to be in the very presence of God, to dwell upon the attributes of a king who receives, to dwell upon the power and the majesty of a God who has instituted and holds together Every aspect of life, including the breath that I take and the beat that my heart just had. Walk about Zion, number her ramparts. 
Consider her ramparts and go through her citadels that, that you may tell the next generation about this God. It is imperative that we can articulate not only the gospel, but the kingdom of God, the place of his reign, because it, is, because it influences the next generation. I'm not doing this so that we just feel good, because it, it builds us up, does it not? At the same time, it's imperative for the next generation. If we can't put words to it and say what we are a citizen of, how will our sons and daughters know? How will their sons and daughters know? How to think in a kingdom way. How to be a kingdom citizen and how to see a king who's seated on the throne. I had a good conversation with Rich right before the meeting and we were talking about a lot of things, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now that is, that is anti-kingdom. The opposite, like a war with potentially all the things going on with Iran. What I was talking to Rich about, which blew my mind, was there is a teacher at the school that I'm at now who is Iranian. She came over year, 40 years ago with her family. She still has a lot of family in Iran. And it's so easy to compartmentalize our minds to see only what we experience in life and not be able to see the bigness of the kingdom of God. Because did you know that there are brothers and sisters in Iran that love Jesus as well? All right? There's a church in Iran that also pursues the same God that we pursue, is a part of the same kingdom that we're a part of, and that loves Jesus in the same way. And so then when students or media or whatever else just says, just bomb those people, and this isn't political statements, this is kingdom ideology. It doesn't make sense for us to make blanket statements that, that pertain to remembering the beauty, the majesty, and the bigness of the kingdom. So what is our responsibility to function in the kingdom mindset wherever we go that we're able then to put words and articulation and action to seeing Jesus Christ on the throne? And speaking first of what it looks like to be a representative of Christ wherever we go. I have a couple things I'm going to leave with you and then we're done. Um, God's kingdom is that of strength. It has ramparts and citadels. It shows itself to be strong. Um, and I see this in a lot of ways. But one thing that I love is in John 18, when they're coming to get Jesus, because I'm thinking he's coming in for the triumphal entry and all the rest. He says, are you the son of man? And he says, I am he. And what happens when he says, I am he to the guards? Anybody? They fall back. Okay? And to my mind, that is just the most awesome thing ever because it is the same thing that happens in the Old Testament, right? How does God define himself? The great I am. So Jesus is saying, I am he. I am. He's calling it to them, and the guards have no... The only thing that they can do that's impulsive is to fall back and draw back in reverence and awe because they're in front of the divine. That's our king. He doesn't have to come in yielding a sword. He comes in yielding his words and transforms lives. Strength, joy, the beauty of life in uh, Jesus is that it is joyful. Not only did we experience that in, the Psalm in Luke 19 with the transformation in Zacchaeus' life, but we also saw that um, as those that uh, rightfully partook in depositing and, and working with and bringing out the minas, they had life and more to give, okay? Um, it is everlasting. The kingdom is unshakable. It's timeless. The return of Christ will happen. He instituted something that is for eternity. This isn't a momentary thing. Now we live in it forever. And the beauty of what the Lord is developing, the last thing is that um, he's given us delegation. Just like in the parables, he gave minas to people. 
He's given us a gift. He's given us responsibility. He's giving us stewardship. So it matters to be faithful where he's placed you and to bring the kingdom into that area of your life. The Lord is very kind to us. And I challenge you this week to take time to engage your mind, to think about Jesus and dwell on who he is, and to walk about Zion. And think about this place where God reigns and what it looks like for you to have a place in that. And most importantly, what it looks like for us to be functioning appropriately in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so kind. We love you. We dedicate our lives to you. And Lord Jesus, we are your servants. Thank you for entrusting us, Lord Jesus, with with roles, with gifts, and with a place in your kingdom. And Father, we just declare as New Covenant Church and as members of it that we want to be faithful. May we take what you have given to us and appropriately live it out. May we honor you, Lord Jesus, with the things that you have placed upon us, not just physically, but Lord, spiritually, the giftings you've given us, the words you've given us, the places you've put us in. And may you be honored and glorified that it will return to you ten times, Lord Jesus, what you gave to us. We are so grateful and we love you. Glory to you in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Church family, it's a joy to serve alongside you. Have a great week.